Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone. I am so happy to welcome Katrina Robertson to Envision Together. She's uh, the guest for today for this episode, and she has lots of interesting things to share with us. She's going to tell us a little bit about herself personally and professionally, and then we're going to jump right into some questions for her about being a jury member and her book, yeah. uh, Juror Number 11, and all sorts of things we're about to discuss. So <laughs> Katrina, if you would go ahead and introduce yourself to us in your own way. Yes, of course. I'm so thrilled to be here with you and honored that you asked me to to come and, and be a part. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I actually grew up in the Pacific Northwest area, Washington, Oregon, but moved here in high school, Arkansas. And so I've been here long enough to call myself a Southern girl. Uh, you know, people from the South don't think I have a Southern accent, but if I'm speaking to somebody from the North, they, they say, oh my goodness, I love that Southern accent. So I'm a little bit of a hybrid, but I've, my husband and I have been married for almost 27 years now. We have five children, two biological, three we adopted from the foster care system. And then professionally, I'm a financial advisor, an investment manager, and I've been with a local wealth management firm for about 15 years now. Hmm. Wow. So you have quite a wide range of experience and we're going to be seeking to glean from all of that during this interview. All right. So we're going to jump right into it. You wrote a book called Juror number 11 and you're sharing about your experience on a, mur a murder trial and we'll hear more about it a little bit later let's first learn about your experience being uh, selected as a juror and what was your personal concerns about serving on a murder trial <laughs> well so you know for those who aren't familiar with how jury selection works you know you you're one of those lucky individuals that get that card in the mail that says, you know, you've been selected for jury duty. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to serve on a trial. You go to the courthouse, uh, usually start with a little education thing where everybody comes. And then you've got a period of time that you are active where you will receive periodic calls, messages, whatever, that says, okay, uh, we've got a case that needs a jury and we, they, pull a certain uh, section of the current active jury members to come up. And then you go through a process called voir dire, um, where they basically try to find the best uh, non-biased group to judge the trial, basically. Mm -hmm. 
And so I wouldn't necessarily say there was a concern for me specifically with being selected, but I would say that I had a feeling of tremendous responsibility. I mean, myself and 11 and other individuals were uh, tasked with a decision that's forever going to alter the trajectory of an individual's life and then significantly impact many others who were involved in a part of it. So it was something that I didn't take lightly and uh, was heavy on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the reason I ask you is I've been a part of that first part of what you just shared, where I get the card and I have to go in, but I've never actually been selected to serve on any trial. Um, murderer. Yes, I've, I've been <laughs> called up there on multiple occasions, just had not ever actually gotten selected. So they once they got it down to, I don't know, maybe 25 people or so, then they basically put everybody's names in a hat and they draw out 14 names. So it is very random there at the end, 14 because they had two alternates. So I was juror number 11, you know, they pull them out, juror number one, call a name. They got, so I almost, I almost got out of <laughs> at the end, but, but no, I, I, my, my name was, was called. I see. And later everybody might understand why we chuckled a little bit because <laughs> this is one you may have wanted to get out of <laughs> in retrospect, maybe. Um, this is me putting that out there, but we're going to hear from you as we continue. Um, so it's funny because I still want to serve on a trial and it's simply because I've never been selected. So, <laughs> right. I mean, I found the whole thing fascinating and I've always been interested in the whole process and the judicial system. It was something that I, I mean, this was a, a murder trial, so it's much more serious. It was also going to be a four-day trial, and I'm a very busy person, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, like it's something that I was actually got the call to show up um, right in the middle of uh, my daughter's wedding, oh. um, and that was a Saturday, and they said, come to the courthouse on Monday, and I just, I had a lot. When you read the book, I mean, I just I was in survival mode already. I was kind of like, oh my goodness, I don't have four days. But I was, I was not one of those that was like, absolutely not. I, I don't want to do that. I mean, I was interested and I, I kind of felt very much a sense of duty to, you know, that it's important. And um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't take it lightly. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing about that and helping people like me have a, I guess a, deeper look <laughs> into um, what it's like to be selected. And, and I didn't even know about the names and the hat pulling and all that. So <laughs> um, now, was this jury sequestered or, you know, why or why not? It was, and I know you'll probably have to edit. Has my voice changed very much? No. With what I just did there? No. Okay. Um, so, it's my understanding for a sequestered jury, that's pretty much just for like the high profile cases. And mainly they sequester them for media purposes. And this was not a high profile case. Uh, it was a, a murder case, but it had happened and it was a small town. I live in a small town, but it was uh, had happened two and a half years prior. So it was kind of like an old news 
kind of thing. I mean, I even had not, I was not familiar with the case at all. And that was not an issue at all in the voir dire process for the jury. So now we were sequestered for deliberations. I think that that is pretty standard. Uh, So had we taken days to deliberate, they would have left us there. But um, so we, you know, like we deliberated during, uh, they brought meals to us. But as far as the four days, we were not sequestered. Okay. All right. Thank you for giving us more information about that. So here we are to, um, I think, a lot of the core of your story. Uh, Will you go ahead and outline your experience, including what you believe to have been uh, wrongly done to you? And um, let's just start there. Right. So the quick and short answer would be that I felt like I was forced to make a very serious decision um, with what I felt like was not the whole picture. That was basically cherry picked information that furthermore was delivered in a very emotionally manipulating way. Um, Beyond that, I, I realized that as a jury member, you're very much made to feel kind of like a pawn in this uh, game that the, uh, players are playing, you know, everything's kind of dumbed down for you. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, they can't think critically for themselves. They're not allowed to ask questions. Um, you know, and I don't have a problem admitting what I did wrong, how I, um, the mistake that I, I made, but I wrote the book to kind of tell my side of the story um, to give, so I guess maybe help people walk in my shoes for just a minute. And what got me to that place where I, I, I did get the, you know, misconduct allegation. Um, you know, because I, I ended up kind of being made the scapegoat for the, the, the problems and everything that's wrong with the judicial system. And, and you know, that was wrong. <laughs> so I guess, Tell us a little a little more about that. So you um, you served on this jury and I know you don't want to spoil the book, too. So we'll be careful to stay away from too much information. But um, you served on this jury duty uh, and at a certain point. um, Well, so I, I don't mind. I mean, if I can't even remember what the back cover of the book says, I think you, you get a, I know that in my prologue, I I say that uh, I was, I don't know if I I say that I was charged with contempt of court. If I don't, I give it away pretty quick. Um, But I know in the prologue, I say that there was a mistrial because of me and that that mistrial was laid on my shoulders. Okay. So uh, yeah, I, in my opinion, it's kind of like, I think that knowing that up front, if anything would probably make you want to read what happened, like how in the world did a mistrial come about? And so, so I don't, I don't mind sharing that. Okay. And then, so, um, you said that there's some problems with the justice system. Now, do you think it was something you would say was specific to 
your local system or is this something you've had enough time to see us flawed across the board? Um, well, so I, I, I think it's kind of across the board, but here's the problem. You know, I have people say, you know, well, how, you know, how, what would you suggest on how to fix it? Here's the problem. Uh, people make up the system and people are flawed people and You've got to, especially when you, you're talking about uh, people, a lot of money and people's lives at, at stake. You're going to have greedy, prideful people that are going to manipulate. I mean, that's kind of why attorneys have a bad reputation, right? You know what I mean? It's So as, as long as you have prideful people and greedy people that are involved, there's always going to be problems. It's just one of those, those things that, you know, what I got in trouble for is I tried to learn more about the victim in the case. Mm -hmm. So that's what I got in trouble for was trying to learn more about this person. If we, if we walk through a little bit about why I was in such a frustrating place, um, if you know anything about how trials are run, um, the of course you're supposed to assume innocent until proven guilty right? right and i very much came in with that mindset of innocent until proven guilty the defendant was a 60 year old piano teacher never been in trouble who shot and killed her husband claim mm -hmm. self-defense mm -hmm. so the when you have a trial the prosecution is always allowed to speak first so when they have opening statements, prosecution speaks, then defense gets a chance, and then prosecution then gets a second turn. Same thing with witnesses. Prosecution witnesses go first, and then with closing arguments, you have prosecution first, then defense, and then prosecution gets a rebuttal. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, there was one def defense attorney and four prosecutors for this case. Mm -hmm. So it felt very uneven right off the bat. Okay. And then, you know, when you have these four people working on the prosecution that are were able to divide up all the tasks and the arguments, and then they were able to call 17 witnesses to testify. We had literally two solid days of listening to the state's witnesses basically say the same thing over and over and over and it was very redundant. It was very, some of the witnesses were only there for emotional manipulation purposes, had no um, ability to testify to anything about the individuals uh, or um, the charge, which was first degree murder. And in order to prove first degree murder, you have to, or uh, be found guilty, you have to prove intent to kill and they do things like uh put up a blown up picture of the autopsy body of the victim for us to stare at while they gave arguments i mean just kind of like is is that necessary you see what i'm saying like play mind games with you so all that so, and then when the defense got their chance to bring witnesses there were 14 and all but two of them prosecution objected to Mm -hmm. and none of them were allowed to speak. Wow. So we were left in this situation, like I said, this, we don't get a full 
picture. We've got this cherry picked information. Don't ask any questions. So you sit back there and make like, a decision. You felt like the other witnesses, um, you felt like a whole perspective wasn't shared. Correct. Correct. A whole perspective was, you know, the, the, the defendant herself was really her only witness to speak and um, really, uh, well, you just, you just really rarely is it the defendant is their own witness. Why? And why was, you know, you, I wanted to know more about, I, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book and I'm doing podcasts is I love hearing stories and I love hearing people's stories. And I wanted to hear her story. And I also wanted to hear this victim's story. And that wasn't allowed. All I knew is that he'd been shot. Um, he was possibly an alcoholic and that she was claiming self-defense. We were not allowed to know any of his prior history prior. Uh, Why was that care. decision made? So, of course, I then, after the fact, go and try to figure, because during the trial for um, when we all were called back when the for to see if there'd be a mistrial granted or not, mm -hmm. uh, I found out that, you know, so the defense attorney had made the statement the state objected to all of the 404B evidence. And so, of course, I'd run back home and I'm, I'm very much a researcher and an analytical and a critical thinker. And so mm -hmm. I didn't realize that you can't really be any of those things on a jury. You've got to just feed what's given to you. And so I, I run home and well, so 404B evidence is evidence of a individual's like character or prior actions that may indicate or prove another action. Mm. And so they were able to, so that did answer the question that all of those witnesses were indeed there to speak something of that nature, but they were all disallowed. You know, part of me is kind of like, okay, I understand what they're getting at, you know, just because. So they were more character witnesses. I think, I think, I don't know a hundred percent sure, I think, but when somebody is claiming self-defense, you want to see if there's a pattern for them to have needed self-defense or was this just a one time out of the ordinary kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I think certain states, uh, that kind of evidence is more often allowed. It just kind of depends on the state um, and, and, and ultimately the judge. I mean, a judge can decide to allow whatever they want. Okay. And this, and it could have been, you know, and so here's the other problem I have. We were, as we were given the instructions, we were told, you know, as a jury, we were given instruction to be a judge of also the witnesses as far as their credibility and their their testimony and whether it was relevant or not. But in this particular case, we were not given the opportunity to judge the majority of the defense's witnesses. Now, so I have no idea. They could have been completely irrelevant, uh, not credible yahoos that just came off a load of turnip trucks. You know, I have no idea. We weren't given the opportunity to hear them. 
And so I'm like, okay, so you're, you're giving me the responsibility to make this huge decision, but not allowing me to be privy to all of the information. And so I just really had a problem with that. And so, I mean, of course the, I was like the judge would, if the judge was making the decision, well, this is a jury trial. We're making the decision. And so, yeah, that was, for me, that was a problem. Okay. You know, um, I just want to throw this out there. Um, would you say that the type of experience you had, whether it was listening to the lawyers argue the different sides, um, even the jury and your part yourself as part of it and the judge is it much like what we see on tv or or not <laughs> you know that's that's the funny thing it had for my experience for a murder trial absolutely it was just like that and for me that actually was surprising because uh when the trial started and the attorney's prosecution came out there for their opening statements i mean we I mean, they brought the drama and I was kind of like, oh, goodness, I thought that this now the defense attorney, not so much. But that round of four prosecutors, it was. Um, yeah, it was the theatrics and the yelling and the stomping and the yelling. emotional manipulation tactics. And I was kind of like, good grief. I mean, I understand you want to hold our attention or get our attention or whatever, but I didn't come here to be entertained. And I, I mean, it's like, I, I want facts, not theater class. You see what, you know, and you really, that, that's oh, me. Okay. You know, so. And is this the only, they, I mean, they were great speakers. <laughs> is this the only jury you've served on so far or you've done others? I, that's the only one, like I uh, mentioned, I've been like called up, but I've never like made it through the whole board dire process and actually served on a, a jury. Yeah. I thought you said that earlier, but I just wanted to make sure. Sure. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, we're going to shift just a little bit. We wanted the audience to kind of get a feel for, um, your experience. But I want to go a little deeper, too. Um, sure. I know that as this played out and you were, um, what was that charge again that was brought? Contempt? Contempt of court. Contempt of court. Um, and all of this was being done publicly. You're in a small town. Right. Uh, right. So I'm naturally wondering, wow, uh, peel yeah. back the layers and tell us what public slander might feel like I right know you, right you mentioned to me in a previous conversation that you felt like you were publicly slandered so i just right. want to know about that quality itself what is the the pain of that and i i shared with you that i know something of that i don't think on the level that you experienced it but that's what would make me curious about it i want listeners to know from us what what does that feel like? <laughs> oh, goodness. It's probably one of the most nauseating feelings, like not in your stomach feeling, you know, the defense. So that it was the defense attorney that uh, grabbed hold of the mis, uh, misconduct uh, complaint. And he's the one that wanted contempt of court. And he asked for a mistrial. 
which was bizarre because we didn't even find his client guilty of first degree. We ended up with the lesser charge of second degree. And by him wanting a mistrial, actually opened her up to first degree all over again, you know, so that we could go way off on, on that. But he fought when we all went back, we all got letters saying we had to come back. Somebody, one acting right. And at that time, I didn't even know it was me. Um, go back in and each of the jury members had to come out and testify and stuff. When they saved me for last, of course, I've realized, oh, this is all about me. Um, get me up there. And he, you know, that's when he jumped into his theatrics and he painted me to be this horrible person with ulterior motives. And even so I actually, the original judge for the case, I knew personally and Again, small town, everybody knows the judge. Now, I, he's a he's a client of mine professionally, mm -hmm. uh, but he used that to say that uh, he said I lied during Vordire that I was asked if I knew the judge, but that question was never asked. And of course, after the fact, when I had my hearing, all of the transcripts was pulled and it was confirmed, never was he said he asked me specifically, do you know the judge and that I had lied to him, which I, I'm like, that question was never was never asked. And then he tried to say that, uh, like, I was somehow monetarily profit or loss on how the outcome of the case. I mean, it was just I mean, to he, you know, character is something that is is really one of my most valuable possessions. My character and my integrity. I mean, I'm a financial advisor. People trust me uh, in a very intimate way. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we're in a small town and it doesn't take much to be well-known in a small town, but yeah. uh, my, my husband has been a pastor and chaplain for really? the entire time we've been married. I am a financial advisor and to have somebody publicly, uh, and then print newspaper articles that uh, conflicted my character. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean, it was just devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And when your when your true motives and intentions are completely uh, well, just dragged through the mud. What does devastation feel like to you, though? Like for me, when I went through uh, something like that. Um, it caused me to get depressed. It caused me to be angry at times. Absolutely. Uh, it caused anxiety. Oh yeah, um, anxiety so is a big one for me. That's what I'm saying. What did public slander feel like to you? The main thing that I struggled with was the anxiety. And my, I've always been a big emotion person. I, I feel my emotions. I wear my emotions. I'm not one that's able to kind of put a mask on, put the happy face on when I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty real and vulnerable and genuine. And I, I, I lost a ton of weight. I, I, I really got dangerously thin. Um, and it was because I was just nauseous all the time. And a lot of that, you know, was really, I mean, yes, it was the slander, but, but then to, to think that, you know, they had put on my shoulders that 
I was the one responsible for all of this. Mm. Um, and then, like I said, the original judge, he was a personal friend and a client and, you know, he's being drugged through the mud as well. And mm. to think that, I mean, it just made me sick that, um, it's just uh, one slight misstep could cause that much havoc. And, and yeah, it was, it was the anxiety. And, and since it was not just the trial and the five month period it took before my hearings were done, everything else that was going in, on in my life was almost like I, I'd wake up each day with what's going to happen today. Yeah. You know, what, what's next? Yeah. I, I remember having uh, thoughts and feelings like that too. And not only that, it wasn't just what was happening to me, the way it affected my family. And I remember even just saying to God, God, why are you allowing this? Because in my situation, yes. I didn't even do a misstep. I was just yeah. right. <laughs> lied on. And yes, I, I've and had you, my character is so important to me. Um, but you yeah. know what? Even with that, I learned some valuable lessons. I started asking myself why is it so important to you like that, that it's actually devastating to you if right. people can say bad things about you that's not true. So I had to do some soul searching even there. Absolutely. And so yeah. And you're weed out some of that pride in your heart. It's like, why are you so, yeah, absolutely. But I was there, there with you too, as far as the anger with God and questioning God, you know, during the, I've always been a big fighter and advocator for, for people, uh, especially people without a, a voice of their own. And I guess that's kind of how I got into the mess I was in, but uh, I really felt the Lord just telling me during this particular period, you know, Katrina, you need to, um, he brought the verse and it's, it's tattooed on me because I so much needed the reminder. It's probably backwards to you and your, your listeners obviously can't see it, but it's Exodus 14, 14, which says, the Lord will fight for you. You must only be still. Mm. And that tattoo was fresh on my arm and that it was still raised as I sat there in the courthouse when the judge charged me with contempt of court. And I remember just rubbing that tattoo while the tears fell my, from my eyes. And I said, God, I thought you were going to fight for me. You know, I thought you were going to fight for me. Mm. So well, yeah, that stuff is tough. Um, you you mentioned before too that um you could relate to the characters naomi and job in the bible how did you experience those emotions and how did you perceive your relationship with god during that time i know you've touched on it a little bit but right right well with those characters specifically i say you know so the church that my husband and i attend the the preacher there is he is kind of one of those fireball preachers. I mean, he just, and he's so, he's always excited and always happy and always positive and optimistic. And uh, he's kind of an energizer bunny. And I mean, that's great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And there was a particular Sunday where he was, you know, the, the sermon all had to do about thinking positive and being grateful and all, all along those lines. And I just, it was kind of during this season, I was just like, I'm not there. You know, like I, I'm not feeling it at all. 
And he had even mentioned, and like I said, I'm not one that can just mask my emotions right. and flip the switch and say, okay, I'm, everything's cool now. I couldn't do it. And he had mentioned Job in the sermon and I had gone home and I was like, you know, uh, Job is not a good character to mention when you're talking about positivity and good attitude, because I went and I read and I wrote down some of the things that, you know, it, you know, I found Job, he was, he was weeping. He was wailing. He was crying out to God. He says, God won't hear me. God can't hear me. God is out to destroy me. God has blocked me. God has torn me down. And then he says, God has left me. I mean, he doesn't sound like somebody that was in a, um, it's all going to be okay mindset. In fact, when you read about all of Job's friends leaving him and even his wife, I'm kind of like, well, geez, nobody wants to be around somebody like that. Even if they got good reason to be, they're like, you know, Hey, I, I, I ain't got time to listen to all your wailing and gnashing of teeth, you know, but here's the thing. It was kind of like God allowed him to feel all those emotions, speak those emotions. And, and he still, he still loved Job. He, he, God was big enough to listen to him. So the, the character that I wanted to learn more about was Naomi. You know, she's kind of hidden in the background in the book of Ruth. More, more people hear the story of Ruth than about Naomi, but I wanted to learn more about her because this was a woman who had been through a lot. If you know the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, who is Naomi, they had all left their land due to a famine and they go to this foreign land and I'm drawing a blank right now of where they were coming from and where they were going to, but where they go to Naomi loses her sons and her husband, they all die. And her sons had not yet had any children. And she had this daughter-in-law Ruth that for whatever reason decided to stay faithful to Naomi, even though her husband had had died and they get word that the famine's over in their land. And so they're going to travel back. And it's obvious by this point that Naomi has is pretty cranky over what all she's been through. Right. And so we're not real sure why not, uh, Ruth decides to stick it out with her. Um, but they get back in it and it becomes clear that Naomi must have probably been a well-respected woman because when she comes back, all of her, her old girlfriends are excited to see her, um, but she's still lamenting the loss of her husband and sons, and she's very bitter, and she tells these friends, and I'll, I'll read this. It says, the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Don't call me Naomi, and I need to research that. I think it's, and I did at one time, but it's been a little while. I think it, it something along the lines of joy or happy, and she says, don't call me Naomi because the Lord has afflicted me and brought misfortune to me. You know, so again, that probably shut all the women up. It's like, eh, you know, let's not let's leave Naomi alone. But she was just being real and honest. And yeah. so that's at the beginning of the book of Ruth. And then the rest of the book of Ruth is the story of Ruth and Boaz and the love story and, yeah. and all that. And then the book of Ruth closes again with Naomi and yeah, so you turn back to the end and it's, I think it's interesting that she's on the bookends of it. And so then it, it ends, picks back up with her by saying, then the woman said to Naomi, praise the Lord 
who has not left you without a family because, you know, Ruth and Boaz have gotten married. Now she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she's not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well-known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better than seven sons Mm -hmm. has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then if you kind of follow that family lineage, yeah. uh, act, eventually you get to Jesus there. Yeah. Um, you know, so this is that bitter woman who said, don't even call me Naomi because God's brought misfortune in my life was as the curtain closes, you know, these, these women that Uh, she felt comfortable enough being honest and vulnerable with come back to her and speak blessing and praises on her still. They didn't judge her uh, for that period of time she was in. Um, But as they set that grandchild in her lap, I'm sure she was, I can see her just kind of exhaling finally and saying, you know, God is good. You know, God, God is good. And, and so I guess that's kind of a long. I heard you just now say with the child on her lap, I don't know why. I, well, I'm very visual, but I pictured a child literally on her lap. And when, when I saw the child on her lap, I just thought, hope. There's yeah. hope again. <laughs> right, right. And that that's what you got to cling to is that hope, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I just liked those two characters. And there's you really can find them throughout scripture. They certainly are not unique of characters who don't have a problem uh, lamenting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yes, um, I think we both shared and touched on today how when you're going through difficult times, um, I certainly have said, I've said, God, look, I am angry. And I think um, one of the good things about that is is God lets us. Um, He doesn't tell us that we can't experience the range of emotions even with him. But obviously you want to kind of, you know, be respectful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of like course with your, with your parents um of course raising my daughter she can get angry with me she just can't get disrespectfully angry with me. of course yeah well there's <laughs> there's a, a difference between suppressing your emotions and controlling your emotions yeah. you know you you can there's no need to suppress your emotions you do need to control them yeah so yes that that does come with some maturity and something I certainly with with my children, um, the ones particularly who have come from trauma backgrounds, one in particular, very, very angry and has reason to be angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that doesn't mean you can keep punching holes in my wall. You know, right. <laughs> you know we got to we, we got to find a different way to express this emotion. Mm-hmm. So what would you say you've learned by going through these per- painful circumstances you know, there's always uh, it's like Naomi. There, it's it's a bad, bitter, terrible situation, but in the end, you can come out of it learning so much. Even after being angry with God, not seeing the whole picture, but then when you finally do get to the end of it, um, what were those painful lessons that were learned? Goodness, um, well. You know, I mean, painful situations are unavoidable, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're breathing, you're <laughs> you've you've gone through them. You're gonna go through them. I mean, my specific situation, especially dealing with the 
the court and the jury, I mean, that's kind of unique. I've not yet run into anybody else who served on a jury and caused a mistrial. I've not, um, the, the raising the, the really hard children and all the pain surrounding that, um, that's not hugely unique. Um, us mamas, and when they say they'll break your heart, that is a, a literal, literal thing. You feel it in your bones when those, those babies break your heart. Um, hats off to you being a foster parent, a uh, foster care uh, yeah. parent, and then yeah. adopting um, these children, and and we all know that's tough work. I've never done it, but I have an aunt who is a social worker, so I get a little bit of an inside story here and there. That is tough work, and it requires a lot of dedication. So, thank you for that. Yeah, and um. You know, one of the, and this wasn't the direction I, I, I was going, but I'll slide this in and say that a lesson that I've certainly learned is, you know, sometimes you can do everything right, mm -hmm. but things don't turn out right. Mm -hmm. Rather that is you've, you've loved that child unconditionally, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, but you know, things fall apart anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess the lesson is, is not to, gosh, you got to rise and be victorious and <laughs> keep doing it. But I think one of the main things I've learned is one is those feelings are, they are real and they need to be validated. They need to be felt. You've got to, you've got to feel it all, but don't, don't allow yourself to, I guess, stay in that ash pile, mm -hmm. you know, sit in that ash pile and feel it all, cry those tears, um, ask your questions, but don't stay there. You, you have to get back up. And that really like true faith is saying, you know, God, my emotions and circumstances are contradicting the truth right now, but I still stand on the truth and I still trust you, even if. Weird. And you just fill in the blank with whatever that even if is. Yeah. What you just said actually takes me back. Now I understand even more why you selected Naomi and Joe, because it does go full circle and mm -hmm. why you may go, be going through a lot of pain. You might be frustrated. You might be like, where are you, God? You might become bitter. Um, don't park there. Don't get paralyzed. Some people right. experience very challenging things in life and they get stuck there. They can't move forward from right. Right. And so that's kind of like, in a way, Naomi was kind of dooming herself to that when she said, call me bitter. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But she, she, God, she really was, God she, didn't listen to her own prophecy. <laughs> no, she, he didn't. And, and, you know, he blessed her with, with Ruth. Yeah. That wasn't that that stuck, you know. And I'm I'm blessed to have some really amazing friends that they, friends. yes, they they come and they they sit with me. I, they aren't scared off by my emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and Ruth, you know, saw saw who Naomi was through all of those emotions she was feeling and stuck with her, mm -hmm. and. You know, she, she eventually, I think, I think when they placed that baby in her lap, she, she finally got unstuck. <laughs> yeah. And that's so, that's so important too, what you brought up 
um, you have those friends that I called your roots. Um, yes. It's so important to have people around you who can help you uh, kind of see your way through stuff when life gets tough um, and celebrate with you when things are great. Um, Absolutely. So, um, I think that's a valuable thing too, to know that it's okay to be real. Um, you don't want to do that with just anybody, but have no. a group where you can no. be real because I think that's how people start suppressing stuff and, and it turns into bitterness because they're, they're keeping it all in. But yeah, um, we are coming to the end of our episode. Uh, and there's a question that I ask all of my guests, and it's this, which one final gem can you leave with the audience that'll help them go to their next level best around the, the things we've discussed today? Well, so I, I almost started to give away uh, the answer to this before because you had, I knew you were going to ask it, so I've been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I would say, well, goodness, I mean, like we've already talked about, everybody goes through hard. My heart's kind of unique, but we all go through hard. It's inevitable. And sometimes the even harder hard are those things where you've put so much into it, whether it's your blood, sweat and tears in a business or a project or your heart and soul into a child that's gone wayward, um, a marriage that no matter what you've done, your spouse has walked away or um, you get a bad health diagnosis when you really try to take care of yourself. I mean, the, the list is, can go on and on where those just those devastating blows where it's just like, what in the world is happening? And it's easy like you. I like how you said how you get stuck sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think the gym I would want to leave people with is just keep going, keep going. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if loving somebody is what got you hurt, don't stop loving people. Right. Don't stop. Um, if, if it's your business that fell apart, don't, don't go decide you're just going to live off the government. Keep, keep building, keep doing yeah. it, keep creating. Um, you know, don't quit holding on to hope for that, that child or whatever it may be. It's just, you know, my theme throughout the book is uh, rise, you know, that just continue to rise. And so that would be probably what I would leave them with is don't be afraid to be honest and say, things aren't okay right now, mm-hmm. but they're going to be. I want to encourage everyone. If you really found this talk interesting and uh, you want to know more about uh, Katrina's experience, her insights, and um, a perspective on uh, the court system um, to keep learning about this, or you're just intrigued by it, go out and get that book, Juror Number 11. And with that, Katrina, go ahead and share anything you would like the audience to know about how they can get in touch with you or get your book. Well, the, the book is on Amazon. If you search juror number 11, like hashtag 11, uh, you sh- it should come up. There are a couple other juror number 11 books. The subtitle of mine is A Memoir of the Broken Justice System and Rising from the Trials of Life. Hmm. And 
my my pictures on the cover so it's easy easy to spot there's a, a kindle version hardback paperback and then i also did an audio book if you're an audio listener full disclaimer i recorded it myself so it is not if you're somebody who listens to them all the time i, I it's not professionally uh narr- narrated but I did, since it was my story, I wanted it in my voice, but I had a huge learning curve in trying to master all of the, the sound terminology and get it recorded. But that is is available. As far as my, I mean, my email is in the co- on the copyright page. I don't have a website or anything. I'm on Facebook. I've had individuals reach out to me on, on Facebook if they wanted to send me a message or something. And, and, and that's fine, but I'm, I'm fairly easy to find if you, if you try hard enough. Okay. And we are happy to uh, put that information in the show notes. So Katrina, thanks again. Thanks so much. Congratulations again on your son's graduation and the three graduations you've gone to back to back. (laughs) And happy Mother's Day. This is Mother's Day weekend. So again, I am so uh, happy that you joined me on the show. And it's been a very informative conversation. Yeah. That was great. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.